Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. That was awesome. Good morning, good morning, and Merry Christmas. This is our Christmas service this morning. Uh, We are going to be having a service this coming weekend on Saturday night. Tell your neighbor, say Saturday night. All right, so that's when we traditionally do our uh, carols by candlelight, and we're going to continue to do that this year as well. And then on Sunday morning, we are going to be um, at home, and you can all catch me on live stream. We have a service already for you. All right, so, uh, but you can join us on live stream on Sunday morning, Christmas Day. All right, so Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Thank you that we can glorify you. Thank you that we can come and honor you with our lives. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here, not just, uh, God, as we celebrate you being born as a baby, but you coming to earth to bring us into the fullness of life, God, to be reconnected to our Heavenly Father, to be reconnected with you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that your presence is here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen, amen. For those of you who are here for your first time, welcome to Newport Church. My name is Merle Shank, uh, lead pastor here, and it's so good to have you with us as we go into this morning. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, the Christmas message found in Matthew, the book of Matthew. I want to uh, just I wanna clarify a point that I made last week. I said something to the fact that Matthew is the only gospel that talks about Joseph, and Uh, I want to clarify that point because Luke also names Joseph's name, but Matthew is the gospel that talks about Joseph's involvement. Woo! Wow. Glory. (laughs) Almost ready to hit the floor there. All right. (laughs) All right. The angels are back. No. So... Uh, Luke talks about Joseph, but Matthew talks about Joseph's involvement in terms of like leading the family, having dreams where the angel's telling him to go to Egypt and then, hey, uh, you know, to come back once Herod dies. And we see Joseph's involvement in the book of Matthew. And it's the only gospel that really mentions his involvement in leading the family, uh, as opposed to others just kind of mention his name in passing. So I just wanted to clarify that point uh, this morning. Uh, Last week, we also heard about how the different gospels were written really from different perspectives. Obviously, uh, you know, four different writers are going to give four different perspectives, but they're kind of written to a certain audience where Matthew is written kind of from like a Hebrew mindset and therefore written written, you know, we, uh, theologians will say that it's written to a Hebrew mindset or written to a Jewish mindset. And then uh, we see that the book of Mark is kind of written to a Roman perspective or from a Roman perspective to a Roman perspective. The book of Luke, which we heard the gospel presentation and uh, the Christmas story this morning from our granny. Didn't granny do a good job? Yeah. All right. I'm sure I'm going to get some mileage out of that. For those of you who don't know, that was my sister. So I intend to get some real mileage out of that one here in the future. But, um, 
you know, we heard the story, you know, the Christmas story out of the book of Luke, and uh, it's really written from like a Greek perspective or written to a Greek um, mentality in the world, which is primarily, you know, in the Western world anyway, that's the, the perspective that we wind up uh, kind of looking at life from. And then the, the book of John is written to everyone. And it kind of, you know, Peter Bunton says that John really gives us like the high Christology of who Jesus is, you know, uh, in the beginning was the word and just kind of really defines to us what Jesus uh, in his God in his divinity, in his godness, represents to us and what he has done for us. But this morning, um, you know, after we've heard the account out of Luke, I want to talk about that. And what, one thing that I love in Luke's account of the gospel is it's really this. It's really an eyewitness account. It's an eyewitness account. And it, it, you might not think about it uh, looking from like the kind of looking back on it, but really Luke in his gospel account, he ties in those who are in the periphery. He brings into focus those who would be kind of on the outside. Those who would be, uh, you know, just not really regarded in the society of that day and age. He, and Luke brings this in. You, you have the story of the miraculous happenings that surrounded John the Baptist's birth. Right? Kind of on the periphery of, of, of Jesus. You have the eyewitness accounts of those who would not have culturally been accepted. Those who were in the periphery, like women. In that day and age, women were not even allowed to testify in court. They were like, oh no, you, know, you can't believe her because she's a woman. They wouldn't even accept the testimony of a woman in court. Also, they would not accept the testimony of shepherds in a court of law. In that day and age. Now today, obviously we would, right? But in that day and age, Luke ties in the eyewitness accounts of those who are kind of on the periphery. Those who are kind of, you know, sorry, there, there is no biblical account of a drummer boy. I know, it's tough, you know. I saw, I'm sure many of you have seen that, that meme that says, you know, Mary, after getting, you know, wrestling endlessly to get Jesus to sleep, finally gets him to sleep and is approached by a young boy with a drum that thinks what this woman needs is a drum solo, right? Like that's, you know, there, there's that, there's no, there's no drummer boy. Uh, but in the Hebrew culture of the day, both men and women, uh, sorry, both men and shepherds were not held in high regard. And so what we see is that, um, God comes and announces the birth of Christ, the, the, the preeminent shift in time. The very thing that He has been planning from eternity past to bring mankind back to Himself. The very thing that's going to split time. The very thing that's going to define the, the, the time for eternity. Who does he announce it? Who does he announce it to? He announces it to the shepherds. The angels come to the shepherds, and then furthermore, we see that it's the testimonies of Mary and the testimonies of Elizabeth that must be believed in order to understand the virgin birth. It's their testimonies that have to be believed in order to understand the virgin birth. And we see that later on, even you know, as Jesus was died and he, when, when, uh, when he died and was resurrected, it's the 
the testimony of women that first hear that Jesus has come back to life. And it's their testimony that must be believed as Jesus appeared to them in the garden. So one of the things that we can understand from Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is this. And this is the main point this morning. Is that God sees and God values every part. God values every part. He sees and values every part. No matter how small it is. No matter how small we might feel like our part is to play in the grand scheme of God's plan for eternity, God sees it and God values it. God sees it. He understands it. No matter how insignificant we may seem in the eyes of society, just like the shepherds, just like the women, no matter how insignificant we may feel in society, no matter what, if society recognizes your contribution or not, it doesn't matter because God does. He recognizes. He sees it. He knows it. He understands it. And He receives it. God sent the angels to the shepherd knowing that the learned and the wise of that day would not believe their report. Isn't that interesting? God knew that the learned and the wise of that day wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily receive their report. But He sent the angels anyway. He sent the angels anyway. And we see this, you know, the testimony of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 corroborates this. He, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I believe God did this specifically to value the shepherds, but also because He did this for them, but He also did this for us. He showed the shepherds His eternal plan but he was also in showing them his eternal plan. He has showed that for us. He knew the message and the happenings of what the shepherds were experiencing would transcend the time and the values of their current society. He knew that today we would be looking back and valuing the testimony of those who had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. Amen? He knew that. And so God also did this for us. In this, we see that God's eyes that are on each person's life and that there's no part too small. Tell your neighbor, say, there's no part too small. There's no part too small. God sees and values what is seemingly small as well as what seems to be great. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Remember this. This is the testimony that, that Jesus is he's standing at the temple and, and he's watching people. I mean, we don't do this today, praise God. But like... Uh, you know, he's watching people put money in the offering. You know, can you imagine? If, <laughs> hmm. Oh. Wow. You know, like he's watching people put money in the offering. 
And he's standing there, and we see this. He says, Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And verse 2, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. God recognizes even the smallest things that we do. God knows. When nobody else sees it, when nobody else knows it, God sees it. And God knows it. So whether, whether you know, uh, society may not recognize your contribution to God's plan, but God does. He sees you. And He knows you. He has woven the obedience of both the great and the small into the tapestry of His plan. God has woven the obedience of both the great and the small into the tapestry of of his plan. We see this in the Gospel of Luke. You may be a stay-at-home mom who asks, is what I'm doing really important? You may be a business owner who goes over and above what anyone even knows to see the kingdom of God manifest in the lives of your employees and your clients. You may be a student who's trying your best to grow and to learn in your field of excellence. You may be a professional who goes beyond just making a strong career to being a great friend and providing healthy, godly community to your friends and family around you. You may be a dad or a mom who works long hours and comes home to your family absolutely drained, but you still take time and energy to connect intentionally with your children and with your spouse. God sees these things. You may be a child who is, who is now selflessly caring for your parents or your grandparents in their golden years. You may be like Simeon or Anna in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. We won't read it. I just want to talk about it. Where as Jesus is coming to be presented in the temple, all of a sudden Simeon, this man who was a godly man who had dedicated his life to the things of God and had received a promise from God that he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel, until he saw God's plan and God's promise. And all of a sudden he, Jesus comes in and by the Holy Spirit, by prophetic unction, we don't understand fully what it was, but by the Holy Spirit, he knew that this is the thing that was promised to me. This very moment right now is the moment that God has said, I would not die until I experienced it. And in that moment, he recognizes Jesus and he pronounces a blessing over Joseph and Mary and Jesus. He pronounces a blessing over him and he says, oh, you know, let your servant now depart in peace. And at the same time, Anna, a prophetess who had given her life to serving the Lord, who had given her life to being in the temple, who had given herself the years and the time and serving God, all of a sudden starts to proclaim and experience the same thing as she encounters Jesus as a baby. Maybe that's your story as well. When nobody sees, nobody knows, but God sees. And God knows. Tell your neighbor, say, God sees. The message of Luke is that God sees and values it all. You may not value your contribution to God's plan, but we can stand firmly this morning and say that God does. God does. God remembers and he receives the worship of the shepherds the same 
as the worship of the kings or the magi. He receives the worship of the seraphim. I'm reminded by Su- uh, of the story of Susan Wesley. And this was the mother of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. John Wesley went on to be a great revivalist who preached to over a million people. Uh, one time he preached to 35,000 people without a microphone. <laughs> wow. Yeah? There, there's, he's this great revivalist. And, and he, Charles Wesley, who wrote over 9,000 hymns, some of which are still sung today impacted the world greatly but they grew up in a home that was very poor they grew up their mom whose name was susan had a very hard life a very challenging life their dad was a preacher he was gone a lot and they were constantly their family was constantly in debt and uh, I, i believe um susan had 19 children Nine of them died. Ten of them lived. One of them was a cripple uh, from birth, I think. And so she had a very hard, she was managing this home, managing this house. And yet she said, God, for every hour that I give myself to entertainment, I'm going to give to you an hour in prayer. And then later she upped it to two hours. And in the midst of the chaos, can you, can you imagine ten kids like running around you, right? Like, rah, right? Okay, I mean, I have five. That's enough. <laughs> you know, so like, in the midst of that like chaos, in the midst of the, all that activity, she would take her apron and put it over her head in a time of prayer. And the kids knew that when mom is praying, you cannot interrupt her. When her apron is over her head, you know, so right in the middle of everything, it would come time to pray and she would just stop, put her apron over her head, and she would pray. And she would pray passionately for her children. She would pray passionately for her family. I wonder if that is what made a huge impression on John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Because their dad was gone. uh, There was twice their house burnt down (laughs) and lost everything. The the people in the church that, that their dad was preaching at didn't like what he was preaching. So they like burned their field and like... (laughs) did terrible things, wound up like uh, going and cutting the udder of their cow open so they didn't have milk, and I mean, just like terrible things, persecuted by, but it was God who held the family together, and out of that, out of, so what I'm saying is they didn't have this nice, cushy background to come from. They didn't, they didn't have this, this place of, you know, uh, prestige, to become well-known ministers of God in that time. No, they learned about the presence of God. They learned about the faithfulness of God from their mother, who they saw live out her faith on a daily basis. I think one of the most powerful things we can do is let people around us see our faith lived out on a daily basis. Amen? You see, it's, it's, it's not just important that we believe the message that Jesus came to bring us, what's important is that we follow him and that we are followers of him. Amen? Believing what he said, but then letting that belief impact our lives. Letting that belief change the way we live, change the way we interact with people and follow him wholeheartedly as our king and as our savior and as our Lord. So 
So the biggest thing that we can do is to live our faith in front of everyone, whether it's our children, whether it's our boss, whether it's our employees, letting others see us follow Jesus with our whole heart. As we head into the last several weeks of this year and you know, we're in the Christmas season, God sees and values every little contribution. Know that. Know that. Every family member and friend or stranger that we serve, every person that we go out of our way for, every sacrifice that we make so that others may experience God's love and God's joy ministered through us, God sees it. Every promise that you keep, every promise that we keep, God sees it. Every commitment to holiness in God that we keep, God sees it. He knows it. We don't live our lives for the recognition of, of people and the recognition of mankind or the re- even the recognition of, of our family sometimes and those around us. And I mean, praise God, this is a time when families can get together. But God sees every time you don't respond on that comment that your sibling made. <laughs> I have a great family. I'm just... <laughs> but God sees our hearts to serve. And he knows and he understands. He understands. And he values it. He, he sees our contribution. God sees it all and he values it all. So as we celebrate the birth of Christ this week, let us do so by living the kingdom of God that he has come to bring us into. It's interesting that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom before he ever went to the cross. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is that God's way is best. God has a way for us to live. And it is best suited for us to live, to find fulfillment, to find grace, to find life. God has a way for us to live. And it's the way that he brings us to. Jesus modeled that way. He modeled the relationship with our Heavenly Father, and He brought us into that. So one of the best ways to celebrate the birth of Jesus is to live in what He has brought us into. Amen? To live empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live empowered by sacrificial life in service to the Lord and serving service to others, and to go into life looking for ways to be obedient to God's will and God's ways. As we wrap up here this morning, I just want to share the gospel message. The gospel is simply this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the world, and he ruled as supreme ruler. He ruled as king over that world, and everything worked together seamlessly. Everything worked together uh, in, in amazing unity and peace. And then Satan led a rebellion against God and said, I don't need to follow God's way. And he comes to mankind and says, you don't need to follow God's way either. You don't need to live in that way. Has God truly said? And he deceives mankind. And mankind, we follow in Satan's rebellion against God. And because of that, sin comes in. Sin just means the wrong stuff that we do that separates us from God. That's what the Bible tells us, that sin separates us from God. When we reject 
God's rulership, when we reject Him as God and we walk in our own way, in our own rebellion, we live our lives apart from Him. But really what winds up happening is we live our lives apart from the one who knows who we are and the one who knows why we exist. But God says, I don't want to leave it that way. And the gospel is that Jesus came to pay the punishment on the cross for your sin, for my sin, so that we can be reconnected to our heavenly Father, the one who knows who we are, the one who knows why we exist. That we can be reconnected to him and live life to the fullest in relationship with him again, but we must make him king. He promises to give us his spirit and to lead us by his spirit. He promises to take us by the hand and lead us forward in our lives, remembering and empowering us to remember who we are and who he is. And that's the gospel, to respond to that. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 1, verse 12 also says this. It says that, um, let me read it. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So no matter where you find yourself today, no matter how far from God you find yourself today, it's only ever one step back. It's only ever one step back. I need, I need 10 volunteers. Can I have 10 volunteers? Just put it, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all right, nine, <laughs> great, both of you. One more, one more, 10, okay. Those 10 volunteers, can you stand up? Awesome, okay, Joaquin, come here, come here. Joaquin, you're gonna be Jesus here this morning. Yes, right here. Check out this dude's sweater. Love it. All right, so just like lift your hands. You're being Jesus. Woo! All right. Okay, so um, can you turn and face that way there? And you keep looking at Jesus. Brian, can you like kind of look more towards the table over there? All right. All right, Maria, turn and face that way, and you keep looking at Jesus, okay? Um, Hillary, Kind of look at the chair, that, that right there. All right. Uh, why don't you look at the camera? There we go. <laughs> all right, Josiah, run, run, run back to the door there, all right? But, but then look, look at Jesus. Just run back to the door. Okay, so when we, when we say, when we ask who is, who is a follower of Jesus, now this is, this is, this is a question that we ask in, in missiology all the time. Say, okay, there are people who are closer to Jesus, and then there are people who are facing Jesus. Who is a follower of Jesus? Now, if it's possible, because I know you guys are in rows there, if everyone would take one step in the direction that you're facing that tells you if you're a follower of Jesus. See, we can be right here, 
you know, really close to Jesus. We grew up in church all of our life. We grew up, you know, in, in, uh, we grew up in a Christian family. We heard the gospel story over and over and over again. We can be really close to the things of God. And we can have followed him and served him and got real close. But then we wind up getting distracted. We start kind of turning our heart away. The cares of this world, the challenges. How are your arms doing? Okay, you can put them down if you want. All right. You know, and we can wind up being close to Jesus, but not necessarily following what it is he says. And yet, we can be far from Jesus, but turning towards him, turning our hearts towards him. And maybe... Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're, you're here today and you're like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, you're in a church, so you would set foot inside of a church. But like, you know, there's people who wouldn't even set foot inside of a church, but their heart is longing, they're crying out for the purpose and the plan of God over their life. And they need our story, they need our witness to help them turn towards Jesus. Now the goal is to be close to Jesus and following him. Amen? Because the longer you follow him, the closer you get. Right? But we, we want to be close to Jesus and following him. All right, can you give a hand to all of our volunteers this morning? Good job. Awesome. So that's just a little bit of a demonstration, you know, that reminds us in all of the busyness of this season Let's make sure that we are continuing to follow the Lord. Let's make sure that we are continuing to follow Jesus. And if you have never given your life to him, there's only one step that you need to take, and that is to turn back and face him. Make him the Lord and the king of your life, and he will lead you in following him. Amen? Can we stand together? Worship team, you can come. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here and you recognize that you need to give your life to Jesus, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's not my prayer, but it's, the, it's, it's your heart before God. And you say, I don't know how to pray. I, I just want to lead you in a prayer of simply coming and turning your life, turning your heart back to Christ and making Him your King. It's what the Bible talks about being saved, being saved from our sin, being saved from the results of that which takes us away from Christ. And simply pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I ask you to take my life. I give it to you freely. And I ask you to give me your life. I thank you that you died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin. And that three days later you rose again. And in your life, I receive life. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me. Today, I become a follower 
of Jesus. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time today, or if you pray that prayer to come back to God, we would love to know, we would love to give you a gift here this morning. We have a Bible and a, a, like a, um, a discipleship booklet that you can just learn more about that decision that you made. But we're going to go ahead and end off our service here this morning. Prayer ministers, if you would like to come. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.